the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. All right, here's the deal. If you've been a frequent of this show for the past three years, you know exactly what you are in store for. Unfortunately, my guest and I, who I will introduce in a minute, have to do this once a year to just get everything off our chest to air our grievances about the season that was, and in this case, an elimination, all too familiar. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it. You all know who's going to join me to discuss this right now. Now hit my music. Who is the show stopper? But you can find my work at lifeinrepeat.com. Who is the main event? The entertaining and sexy, the champion himself. Who is the man? All right, man, take the floor. You know the deal. I'm I'm chilling on my couch, dude. I'm ready to be uh to be induced with this therapy session. All you, bro, take the floor, Mr. Peter HBK of Life and Repeat. Adam, Adam, Adam. The third annual therapy session podcast. It's an annual tradition like no other. <laughs> it honestly, in 2018, we did this for the very first time. We were both so emotionally raw after another dispiriting sweep, courtesy of LeBron. There's part of me, I don't even want to go back and listen to that podcast. I feel we were so raw. And there's part of me that wants to, but I'm a little scared. I got to be honest. But last year, The second annual therapy session, 2019, we were joyous. We were celebratory. We were getting our fingers measured for our championship rings, Adam. And in 2020, well, I guess we're about to find out, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Look, if if you aren't a regular of the show or if you just happen to hop on this year, first of all, welcome. We're glad to have you. Um, I encourage everybody to dig through the archives, right? Um, if, if you want to count it, Peter, we actually have done four of these, but one of them was a serenity session, right? And, and that's after we won the championship. The th- uh, second annual therapy session last year was when Kawhi left, right? And we needed a therapy session for that. This year, it's much like the first therapy session we did in which we got swept by Cleveland, but this year it's a little different. And... You know, for the for the past week, and it should be noted that we were recording this Friday evening, uh, September 18th, a week after the Toronto Raptors got eliminated. For the past week, I've been trying to rack my brain around this. Why does this elimination bother me more than Cleveland? You know, two years ago, we got swept by Cleveland, right? And I, I, I don't, I think you and I are on the same page. We are looking for something to be done about it. We are looking for action. This year is a little different, and I don't know if it has to do with the circumstances that surround the, the playoffs in general, the, the season. Um, I don't know, but this one feels different, and it's cutting a little bit more raw. What do you think? First off... <laughs> let me uh, let me get that going since we're having Cheers, a therapy bro. session. Cheers. You know what, Adam? I get it. Like, there's people who could say, you know, this this wasn't 2015. You didn't get swept by the Nets. This wasn't 2017. We didn't get swept by LeBron, and it, 
this wasn't 2018. We weren't embarrassed again at the hands of LeBron. We went out swinging. There's nothing to be disappointed about. If you told us at the beginning of the season uh, or from the moment that Kawhi left, if someone said to you, Adam, the Raptors are going to be one W away from the conference finals, I think you would have signed up for it. I would have signed up for it. Yes. But as the season evolved, our expectations change. We saw that this team is frisky. We saw that this team can compete. We saw that this team can be one of the best teams in the entire association worthy of contender status. We were always going to make the playoffs. I think all Raptors fans knew that despite what many analysts predicted at the beginning of the season. But I don't think many of us predicted that we'd be the two seed, third best record in the association. Such high hopes going into the playoffs. And although we went down swinging, so therefore maybe we shouldn't feel disappointed about it, I do think there were small little remnants of that feeling that Cleveland gave us. You can look to game one, where we never held the lead and the game was over in the first quarter. What was the other one where we blew it? Game five, I want to say it was, um, where again, we came out flat. The game was was pretty much over. So we had two circa 2017-2018 performances in there that could help explain why one might feel disappointed. And I too, Adam, feel disappointed, probably on par or even more so than in past years. And I think a lot of it has to do with we climbed the mountain. We've been to the top, you know, we admired the view from atop, looking down at the souls of our vanquished opponents. We've acquired like champagne taste and championship expectations that anything short of that, anything that isn't that sort of same feeling, that same high, because we know what the highest of highs are. Our expectations have changed. The goal isn't to make the conference finals. The goal isn't just to be happy being the final eight teams. The goal is to, you know, keep raising banners and I have it's changed me as a fan where I want more you know like 10-15 years ago hey we're chasing the eighth seed I would be happy just getting into the playoffs damn we're in the playoffs let's get home court now I, I you know that's not enough like every aspect of winning creates more expectations and whether they're realistic or not we're a championship organization with championship players with one of the best front offices in the league. So the expectation should be not necessarily championship or bust because, you know, we're missing that one marquee player. But it's okay to feel hurt that we didn't go all the way in that Boston series, you know, despite taking it to seven games. I think everybody on the team pretty much underperformed. Mate, like Lowry, had, Lowry and Ibaka, you might be able to point to and say, those were probably the two best players. Van Fleet had a good game he here and there. But every single every single game, every single it just didn't feel like we were playing our best, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I would give uh, a pass to players like OG Adenobi, who I thought was magnificent throughout the entire uh playoffs. I think he I, I he's the one player that was consistent the entire time. Um I, I had no issues with his play at all. Um, you're right, Serge Ibaka for the most part, Kyle Lowry for the most part, minus game one. Um, even Norman Powell, he was hit or miss, but when it counted, he seemed to perform well. Um, 
Yeah, it just seemed that this something was different. And I'm going to give a little leeway because of the atmosphere, because there was no true home court advantage, right? And I think that the Toronto crowd does make a significant difference. Um, also, given the circumstances of being away from your family, um, that does have some sort of effect on a, on a person, let alone just like a player and how they perform just as an individual outside of your occupation. That's going to have an effect on you. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I think it's because when you get swept by a team like Cleveland in 2018, you can say, well, fuck, <laughs> we, got, we got swept. What are we going to do? It, it a game seven loss that was within five points, and given these circumstances that, you know, like if we could have just changed something, if we could have just changed this little bit, um, things would have ended up different. I think that's what makes it more frustrating. And, you know, you, you touched on that it's okay to feel how you want to feel. And you did mention that in the article that you posted. Um, it seems like Raptors Twitter, and this is sort of the first thing I want to get into, is and has been since the start of the Boston series, has been very divided. And I, I haven't seen it to this degree until recently. And I got to tell you, Peter, it's it's made me not want to participate in a lot of dialogue on Twitter. Raptors Twitter, although, you know, after Kawhi got booted from the playoffs with the Clippers, it, it was a joyous place for, for a little bit. The space was good. But immediately after the Boston loss, it felt like to me that there was a line drawn. and. I've never seen this before because we used to be able to hold players accountable despite their, uh, how do I put this, their, their presence and despite the fanhood towards the individual. And I, you've experienced some of this too with calling out Kyle Lowry for, Paul, uh, for poor play and some Raptors Twitter fans or whatever, they'll clap back or they won't say anything. Um, it seemed that as a result of this playoff series that if you had anything bad to say about Pascal Siakam's play, you were immediately vilified. And I want to make this clear right off the bat. Right off the bat, I want to make this clear. The racist comments, the petitions are disgusting. There is no place for that on Twitter. No place. No place for that anywhere. It is disgusting. Pascal Siakam deserves better than that. We all deserve better than that. I want to make that clear. But that being said, we should be able to dissect and analyze a player's performance. And if it wasn't good, we should be able to call it out for what it is. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Like, And it's great that you prefaced it. Like, like some people, I agree with you. I don't know when it started, and that's a good point. You mentioned maybe it did start at the Boston series. But I even tweeted this a few days ago that Raptors Twitter has gotten a lot more toxic lately. And I don't really know what it is. For the first time, I had to block like a handful of people. Like people aren't happy just to say, oh, I disagree with you. It's no, you're wrong and you're this and you're that and and I just keep thinking if, if that's like your first like response to something, you know, like it almost seemed like there was a certain segment of Raptors Twitter that like they didn't know how to handle the expectations of losing. So they lashed out. Someone has to be blamed. And not only do they have to be blamed, we have to call them trash. We have to say they're garbage. They're this. 
It's like, hey, let's put this in perspective here. Pascal Siakam, he had a rough playoffs. He, he, you can't hide from it. I can't hide from it. Siakam's not even hiding from it. He owned it. And that's what you want from a superstar. And we're allowed to say that because we do it respectfully. We're not insulting Siakam's character. We're not making any racist comments. We are dissecting the game. And you and I, at least you and I, I know we don't use those terms. Garbage. Get rid of it. Like, those are extreme reactions. You're allowed to break down why a player underperformed, how they underperformed, and you're allowed to articulate that. And I think that's okay. And I think people do have a sense of um, of that being sort of the right way to approach it. But when you start getting into those, like, he's garbage, get rid of him, he's overpaid, it's this, it's like, it starts getting like... It's a snowball effect because then the similar people who feel like you like your comments, say you're onto something. And then that person that that hate and that person grows. But, you know, like I absolutely agree. Siakam struggled. We can talk about that. Like if, if we didn't, I, I, I like if we pretended he played well, like we'd be doing a disservice to everyone. Like if I right. came on here, Adam, and I was like, what are you talking about? Siakam played like an oil star. You'd be like, Peter, you're an idiot. Uh, I'm going to book another guest. Is your wife around? Maybe I could <laughs> get her on the podcast or something. But you're absolutely right. And you know what I found? Like I would see these these occasional tweets where it'd be like, like someone tried to be like diplomatic, you know, if you're saying Siakam sucked, then you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. It's like, whoa, it's like, okay, you don't have to defend someone like that. It's like people, it's almost like people lost their words or their ability to communicate that they have to go right to an insult. They have to go right to like hurting. And this is not how people interact with their loved ones, with their family, with their coworkers, with their colleagues, with whoever, with the grocery clerk. This is not how people react to people. But on Twitter, it's okay to tell someone, go fuck yourself, because there's that degree of anonymity. And I always said, like, you know, there's so much great on Raptors Twitter. Don't get me wrong. And there's so much good that social media provides. But overall, social media has been like a cover for hate. Mm. It's like if if I can't react like this in real life, you know, I can create a Twitter handle and I could be a force of like negativity online and no one could ever trace it to me. But in real life, these people are probably the nicest they're probably so cordial to everyone else, but on Twitter, they they take out whatever aggressions from their real life and, and put it online. And I've, I've noticed it a lot more lately, and you might be right. It, it could be tied in somehow with the Boston series and a desire to really want to beat Boston, you know, like, and the disappointment of that. But there's other ways to express your disappointment. Like, I, I challenge anyone, go back and listen to when Adam and I were raw after 2018. Like, I guarantee you, even though we were down and critical, we never crossed the line of being disrespectful to any of these players. So I think a lot of it is a, you know, you got to be careful who you follow and what you're reading. You know, like I, I only have a Twitter account. I don't have any other social media and I, I tend not to scroll into comments because that's where hate lives, man. And you'll often find, and there's often programs that are designed to sort of rile you up. Have you ever had like a comment from like some dude with a long Twitter handle with oh, like yeah. tons of numbers oh, yeah. and they're like, you're stupid. Yeah, oh, yeah. That is a All bot meant to like get you riled up and angry. And I'm not saying that's every, everyone, but that's, that's part of social media. It's meant to manipulate your emotions and get, make you feel angry and stuff. So I don't know where we're going with this, but the bottom line is if, if I can't criticize Siakam, I'm going to, I'm sorry. Like, this is what this is what this is. Do, do I do I want Siakam traded? No. 
Do I think Siakam has room to get better? Yeah. Am, am I, a, I love Pascal Siakam. He's one of my favorite players to watch, but that doesn't mean we can't be critical of him. And that's the thing with Lowry. Like I come on here, I say something about Lowry, it makes waves and people DM me and comment calling me this and that. And at first I was, I found it funny. Then it's first, it's like, why am I tolerating this? Mm. You know, like, why is it, why am I making it okay for someone to do that? And that's the thing. I love Lowry as much as you. I love Lowry as much as the person with the Lowry jersey, the Lowry tattoo, the Lowry, the person who's all about Lowry. But I, I also am able to separate that and be critical of him at yeah. certain times. And there's almost like this unspoken rule, never say anything negative about Lowry. Well, I'm sorry. Then then we can't this like if you're going to be irrational about something, we can't have a proper conversation about something. Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing. Right. And you touched on a lot there. And it, it seems peculiar to me that I have to preface this before we talk about Pascal Siakam. So I guess we should go right into him first. But, you know, it seems peculiar to me that I have to preface this right now to save face and to not maybe save face is the wrong way to put it, but to make sure people don't abandon this conversa- conversation. I have to say, no, I don't want him traded, which is true. I do not want Pascal Siakam traded. No, I don't regret the contract, which is true. I do think he deserves that max contract because he hasn't even been close to hitting his ceiling. I think all of these things are true. But the fact that we can't dissect his playoff performance and call it out for what it is, and I have to preface this conversation with those things, is kind of weird. For Raptors Twitter, if you don't, if you remember in 2018 when DeRozan was benched the last X amount of minutes of the last game because he was underperforming, no one had a problem with it. No one had a problem with us calling out DeRozan and saying, look, he was trashing the playoffs. No one had a problem with it. And this is a guy that was Mr. Toronto at the time. He was the representative of the team. This was before the Kawhi trade. No one had a problem with it. But when it comes to Pascal Siakam, all of a sudden, because people like his personality for good reasons, he's off limits? Because people like Pascal Siakam and his personality, he's immune from criticism? That makes no sense. That makes absolutely no sense. I have seen, and this is what I was talking about, is I have to get some shit off my chest. I, I have it. some. I have seen people that are regarded as respectful, loud individuals within the Raptors community. Right? These are people that are looked up to that pretty much set an onus of how dare you criticize Pascal Siakam for anything. And that is not objectivity. That is not how we analyze the game. That is not how we get better as individuals and as for him as an individual player to get better in his craft. That is not how it's done. You can't have it both ways. You can't say at the playoffs, he's so young. How do you expect him to be the number one option? He's not there yet. But back if you rewind, I have the receipts. If you rewind back to Twitter during the regular season, everyone was calling him the number one option. Everyone was calling him a superstar. Everyone was calling him a max player. You can't have it both ways. You have to pick a lane. Pick a lane and stay there. It's true. It's true. Um, it's funny. You know, what I, I, I noticed a sort of a small turn on Twitter and just fan reaction in general that really kind of turned, not necessarily turned me off, but it was one of the first moments where I was like, 
I don't like some of these reactions, you know, like, and it, it goes back to the trade of DeMar DeRozan prior to his trade, Mr. Canada. He he's represents us. He's one of us. I love DeMar. He, he represents the Toronto. He has no bones about it. He says, I want to win here. I want to be here. I'm going to sign here. I love Canada. And we're like, yes, he's tradable. Fuck, DeRozan sucks. He never wasn't really good anyway. He's trash. He's garbage. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? Is this right. how we treat franchise icons? Is this how we treat people who DeMar, DeMar laid the foundation for us to win? Go and look at the teams he played, the players on his team yeah. from 2015 to 26. Like he's playing with like Grievous Vasquez and Luis Scola. And the dude said, look, I'm going to get us two wins away from the finals. You know who hasn't done that? Bradley Beal. You know who hasn't done it till recently? Jimmy Butler. You know who's struggling to do it? James Harden, but you know what DeMar said? I'm going to win us 59. I'm going to take us to the every year to the final eight. Think about that. This is the NBA where people think winning a ring is easy. You got to make it to the, if you make it to the final eight, you're with the best of the best and anything goes from there. He even got us to a conference finals, but the moment he's traded, he's garbage. And I, I, that, that, that was one of the first times where I was really turned off. I was like, wait a minute. These were the same people who were a week ago saying, if they trade tomorrow, I'm never watching another yeah. Raptors game. There was, I don't know if you remember that movement online, like don't oh, ever yeah. trade DeMar. Oh yeah. And now it's like, now you have like, you have like people saying, you know what? I think Norman Powell's better than DeMar. I think Terrence, I'd rather have Terrence Davis than DeMar DeRose. It's like, are mm. you fucking kidding me? Mm. We're talking about a multiple time all-star. We're talking about one of the top 20, 25 players in the game. This is a franchise icon. And what could, what worries me the most is, not, not worries me, I don't know. Yeah, but right, right. I, I guarantee you the moment Lowry is traded, if that happens, the same shit will happen to him. You know how I know? Because it happened to Vince. It happened to Bosch. It happened to DeMar. Ask Kyle Lowry how DeMar was treated by Raptors fans when he was traded. The same thing's going to happen if we part with Lowry. We bring in a new toy. And then as the older fans come in, they're going to say Siakam's the greatest Raptor of all time. They're going to look at the box score and say, well, you know, I don't think Lowry was really good. He only averaged like 16 points. Like that tide is coming at him. And I love Lowry, but there's such this like cult of Lowry where you can't say anything wrong that. I keep waiting. Those receipts are going to come in at some point. And I want Lowry to retire as a Raptor, but almost sort of the like how you were saying, you can't criticize Siakam. You can't criticize Lowry without some clown coming at you and like dropping F-bombs and saying you're this and that. And I like to think all my I like to think all my criticism is based on something. I'm not just coming on your show and saying Lowry's garbage. And you're like, what? And then never I said Lowry's garbage. I said, oh, Lowry underperformed. And, and, and like you're never like, no, he didn't. He played well. I always give my rationale for any time I critique someone. Sure. I'm not one of those people that just say this person's trash. Let's move on. And I don't even like using words like that. You know, like I have a healthy respect for these players. Like, like, oh, Siakam, oh, you can't lead us to a title. What do you mean? The guy was the second, the undisputed second best player on a championship team. We know he can do it. The dude's only 25, 26. Was there going to be hiccups? Sure. But I'm allowed to be disappointed because I talked myself into him being the man. He finished second team all NBA. He finished top 10 at MVP voting. If the expectation for a player of that statistical profile is, you know, like, that should be championship expectations. And Siakam wants that. 
He didn't pull a Paul George in his press conference where he kept deflecting, right? Well, you know, it wasn't a championship thing. Oh, you know, maybe next year with the chemistry. Like, that's deflecting. Siakam said, you know, I let my teammates down. And as soon as, and not that like I needed that validation because my eyes were telling me he wasn't playing well. And I empathized with him and I was frustrated as well as a fan, but I would never let it cross the line of being disrespectful. But, you know, like he owned it. And that's all you can ask. You, you fuck up. I say I fucked up. I'm going to put, and I have no doubt he's going to put in the work and he's going to come back better. And he's only 25, but it did what it did do. I was convinced he was a number one guy. And a little bit has been eroded into that. And it's okay to be a number two. Saying you're the second best player on a title team is a fucking compliment. You know what I mean? Like, dude, this is something, this is something like, think about that. Like, how, he's, he's one of the 10 best basketball players in the entire world. So it's like, we've got to put this in perspective. People saying you should be traded. You know, I put out some joke tweets. Oh, that trade for thing like that. Like, that, that's all fun. Like, we're all just having fun, like, trying to vent and blow off steam. But I agree with you, man. Like, I like, not that, like, like I don't even know. Like, I feel like I've been, like, I, I put an article up recently, like, talking about Siakam and mentioning the things that, like, how he kind of, like, I was, like, I was just saying, like, Maybe he is a number two guy, and that's okay because you know what? A number one guy wants to come and play with someone like this. You know what I mean? And the guy has like the potential to be all defense. He has potential to even win a defensive player of the year. And in my humble opinion, he was the best Raptors defender all season. I, we we probably there's probably people who might say OG or Lowry, but the point is like you can't say I'm wrong about that. And the point is like you know Siakam, he didn't play well. He's going to do better, but we got to talk about that he didn't play well and what that means. Right. And that's that's what's important. Right. I, I, we can have these conversations about how he underperformed in the playoffs. And maybe that's even putting it too politely. And again, this is not me saying he's trash. I just had my expectations. When you sign a guy to a max contract, when he's second team all NBA, right, when he's top 10 in MVP voting, the expectations, I'm sorry, not sorry, should be kind of fucking high. Right. These, these aren't some things that we should give leeway for because of his age. And that does not mean he's trash. He's not trash. That does not mean he's washed. He's not. But it means is, hey, whoa, we were wrong. OK, we're wrong. We, maybe he's not the number one guy, like you said, Peter. And that's fine. That's totally fine. But to bury our heads in the sand and deny what we saw, deny the reality that we saw. And say, well, you know, his people trashing on Pascal Siakam clearly don't know defense. How many fucking points does defense score? How many points does it mean? I'm so glad he played great defense because that did so well for that five points we lost by. At some point, I don't care. At some point, when you're missing gimme layups, it's a problem. At some point, when you're... Shooting poorly at the free throw line, it's a problem, and we need to address it. That does not mean he can't bounce back from this. That does not mean he's not going to be a better player. What it means is he had a bad playoffs from the start until the end, and I mean from the start of Brooklyn. He was not that explosive player that we're even familiar with, and we need to address it. That does not mean he's garbage trash that does not mean any of this racist shit that i'm reading on twitter that is disgusting it just means he played bad and to deny it of that deny the conversation and to deny people from having that conversation on twitter and saying you're not a real raptors fan or saying 
You're trash. I don't want to hear it. I love Pascal Siakam. That's just living in denial, man. That's just burying your head in this. That is almost cult-like, and it's it's disappointing. <laughs> it is very cult-like. It's also like we have to talk about Siakam. Like in that Boston series, man. Like he averaged fourteen point nine points, thirty-eight percent shooting from the field, twelve percent shooting from three. Like it's it's funny because I didn't see anything fundamentally wrong or anything that I would suggest he do differently. It's just the shot wasn't falling. The layups weren't going in. And I don't know if it's because the physicality in the playoffs, you don't, it's the playoffs are you're going against elite teams. You're not mixing it up. You're not playing the Celtics one night, then the Hornets one night and the Wizards one night. You're playing against a team that can key in on you and focus the game plan around you and I honestly don't I can't point to anything as to why he played poorly I was happy with the shots he was taking were some of them a little bit rushed at the beginning of the shot clock maybe but then if he hits those we're not even thinking about them again like I like it's one of those things where it's you like if if I, I there was part of me that almost respected that he kept firing, he kept going, he kept doing it because I do think hesitation then is the death of confidence, right? Once yeah. you start hesitating, once you start second guessing, once you're doing that, like you're 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 no good to us, and that's what was going on with Lowry and his playoff stuff between 2015 to 2018. You can look this up every single series of his. The, his shot attempts went down drastically in the playoffs compared to the regular season, and his points per game went down every playoffs compared to the regular season. And then anybody who says Lowry, no, Lowry's not a playoff choker. Uh, look at look at Game Three of Indiana versus to all the way only to Game Four of Miami. Look at those seven games only. Don't look at anything else. They're very selective about what games they pick to highlight his stats. But you know what? You could point to a stat. You could show me, oh, you know what, Lowry, he 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 averaged 15 points a game and he shot 47% from three. But you know what my eyes saw? I saw a dude hot potatoing it. I saw a dude tr- not trying to make a mistake. And you might be happy that he only averaged like eight or nine shots per playoff game. I want this dude taking 20 shots a game if he's our best player. So those are fair things to say. And though that's what happened with Lowry. And I said this before on, I think, the, on the in-person podcast. If we... Try to, again, it's like we're pretending it's this cult-like thing. If we start pretending that Lowry didn't struggle and we say, no, he was always a playoff hero, we're not telling his story right. And like I said at the time in February when we were together, I said, that's the reason we celebrated that title so much because Lowry took such a beating and we were so happy for him to finally get that get that off his back and be able to like achieve greatness and play well because we saw him struggle and just to say no he didn't struggle I don't know what you're talking about it's like then I can't have a rational conversation with you and did Seattle was Siakam did Siakam play well in the 2019 postseason absolutely oh, yeah. man yes in game one against the Warriors he was like 12 of 15 and embarrassed Draymond but it's a difference when you don't have a Kawhi and then you're suddenly that force that like everything you're the gravity man everything comes towards you and like that's a different beast and yes this was his first postseason as the man and ultimately he we made it i'm still baffled how the hell we made it to a game seven with pretty much everyone playing 
below standards. So you just think if Siakam was playing, and I think maybe that's part of the disappointment, if Siakam was not even like exceeding his regular season stats, if he was approaching them, we would have beat Boston. But we can't live on ifs and buts and this, because this is what happened. Something happened to Siakam. I don't know if it's what, it could be something in the personal life. Something affected his game, whether it was like great defenders limiting him, whether it was him losing confidence in himself. It's a learning experience, but you know, I could still be frustrated by that. And I am, but I still, I'm still going to next season, whether I'm in the arena, whether I'm watching at home, I'm going to cheer Siakam on and I'm going to convince myself he can lead us to a title because that's what being a fan is. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, you and t- and to give credit, I will name names here. You had p- uh, personalities like Eric Kareen and Donovan Bennett actively tweeting out. At what point do you bench him? At what point does d- is it too much? Not to, to to. At what point is he a liability to stay on the floor? Right. And I was having this conversation post game with Connor, um, and I said, and actually he brought to the attention he would have subbed in Serge Ibaka for Pascal Siakam because the eye test was indicating that he just didn't have it on offense. And at that point, scoring was the priority, right? And look, again, having these conversations and having these, these you know, dissections of play doesn't mean we're not a fan of this player. Doesn't mean that we can't root for him to bounce back. We certainly, I'm, I will speak for you, Peter, on this. We both will. Absolutely we will. Why would we want our team to suck? Why would we want someone on our team to underperform? That makes no sense. But I think what bothers me about this is that I'm not necessarily bothered by the play. And it's frustrating because you're right. If he just had one game where he was average on offense, we would have won the series. Period. End of story. We would have won the series. Right? But if it's more that the backlash from just talking about this. Right? Just having this conversation is sacrilege. To yeah. Raptors fan, and and it's getting ridiculous. I, I just look Pascal Siakam, all the potential in the world. The ceiling hasn't even been touched, right? And and this is someone who in his what third fourth year that has made second All NBA team. I just saw today they used top ten as you mentioned an MVP vote. No Paul George, right? Pascal <laughs> right. Siakam's on there, right? And and that is unbelievable. He was a starter in the All Star game. This, these Interesting. Are, yeah, yeah, these are these are things that you just can't, you know, snub to those that are hating on him for this and say, well, he's trash. No, he's not. And, and that's why I think, like, in all due respect, I, again, I can't imagine what it would be like to be away from my loved ones in, in a, a sort of a, a, a AAU camp kind of atmosphere. Right? I, I just, I, I can't imagine doing that. I'm sure it's going to take a heavy toll because he is close to his family. But that's yeah. what leads me to believe that it's something in between the ears that was the issue. Because I didn't see anything wrong mechanically. No, like I said the same thing. It just, the shot was falling short, missed a lot of bunnies. I liked every single, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm obviously saying that. Like, I liked, I can't remember a time where I was like, a sequence where I was like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Because I'm always a fan of, if you're our guy, you can never hesitate. You got to like shoot it like you made your last five because that, like I said, hesitation is death. And I, that's what I liked about Siakam. He kept doing it. And I know fans were probably like, stop shooting, stop shooting. But it's like, no, he's our best player. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. He's our best player. He, we go as far as he goes. He played poorly. We're out. Lowry can play all world. We're still out because Siakam's our best player. And we go as far as he goes. And I'll say this. I've seen these tweets 
where it's like, hey, if you're criticizing Siakam, fuck you. Then their next tweak is, hey, fuck playoff P. What a loser. Yeah. It's like, okay, come on. Like, what are we doing here? Like, who, wait, so it's, 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 like I said, it's, 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 it's gotten really toxic uh, online. And there's, there, don't get me wrong, like, that's only, that's a small segment, but sometimes that small segment, does enough damage that it, it does all the good by so many wonderful people that I follow and interact with on Twitter. But, you know, like you can't be like, you know, you can't like we said last time, you can't be like, hey, you know what? Maybe Terrence Davis didn't know about mass. And then the next time a video <laughs> goes viral, of someone being a mass saying, fuck that person. Yeah. Here's the link to their LinkedIn page. Fire them. Terrence. Oh, no, no, we can't. It's like there. And I said it before, like, I think there's just this general anger. People can't change the politics. They can't change certain things. So they, instead they can't go after those people. So they go after people that they can go after and they, they direct all that to them because we're so frustrated with like the leadership around the world and like how certain things are going on. And we, 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 we can't see our efforts making a change. So we go after this person and that person. We try to cancel them. And don't get me wrong. Some people deserve to be canceled. But sometimes it's like, where, like have, have we forgot about compassion and education and yeah. like whatever happened to forgiveness? And like, and like beyond, don't get me wrong. Some people are beyond that. And I'm like, but it's just like, you, you, I, I, I'm baffled sometimes at the hypocrisy I see online at people saying, you know, be supportive of Siakam. And then people in my comments telling me to go fuck myself. And like the same people who are praising Siakam, but they come and bully me. It's like, come on, like, which one is it? Pick yeah. a path here. Yeah, it, it's it's really unfortunate because during these times, and we can sort of move on from Siakam, but during these times we do, normally when Raptors would get eliminated from playoffs, there's a, a huge sort of, you know, movement collectively to sort of pick everybody up and talk about what we can do to get better or, or, or more of an encouraging thing. And that's why this time it was very eerie because it was very divided. Um, and I hope that can be something that we can learn from. I hope that's something that we can have an open dialogue without vilifying people for, you know, for whatever takes they have, as long as they're respectful takes and they're, you know, based on something tangible, like statistics or something, then sure, I'll have that conversation with you. And, you know, to, to deny someone that has a differing opinion of you to say that, oh, okay, that means you're not a fan. That's just foolish. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, let, let's move on from that. I do want to talk about where do we go from here? What do we do for the 20 and 21 season, or rather the 2020-21 season um, upcoming? Because, look, I'm looking at this squad, right? And, I, you know, Masai Ujiri in the, the end-of-year presser mentioned that, you know, signing Fred Van Vliet is the highest priority. I would tend to agree. Um, I'm not worried about, you know, spending into the cap for 2021. In fact, I think this team is committed to uh, the long term, which is why I think they're being aggressive to re-signing Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster. Uh, you already saw it with Nick Nurse, who got, from my understanding, I think it was Brian Windhorst that said he got a very lucrative deal, like championship-level lucrative deal, I think, for four years. So th there's there's a window here. There's a plan. Um, and I think the MLSE is willing to spend into the luxury tax, you know, depending on what the cap's going to look like, you know, given the COVID situation. But um, Fred Van Vliet's a priority. I wouldn't mind seeing Serge Ibaka back as long as it's a, a semi-cheap deal. But if he can get a bag elsewhere like Houston or something, I, I can't blame him for going and chasing it. Um, Marcus All was a ghost in this series. And again, I know people are going to talk about the defense. I totally get it. But, you know, when you're averaging six points in the playoffs— 
I mean, something was up with him. I don't know if it was physical, again, mental. I don't know, but I kind of don't necessarily really want him on the team unless it's a seriously cheap deal, maybe a one-year, $5 million deal, which I don't think he'll chase. Um, there's rumors of Montrezl Harold being uh, being chased by the Raptors. Where do you think they should go? Do you look at this next season as a bridge year, sort of, or do you think they're going to still chase this championship? Adam, I love this quest these questions i love the mental exercise of imagining what next year will bring because it, it's it's almost feels like this season we achieved such highs because siakam blew any and every expectations out of the water right he single-handedly through his rise this year turned us into a championship contender and you have to think that like Masai and Bobby, they they must like they they must have had confidence, but like I don't think no one saw this level of success coming. So and it was clear that they were going to, you know, you lose someone like Kawhi, you can't go right into a rebuild, and not that even would we would be in a rebuild because when you have players like Siakam, Fred, OG, Norm, Lowry, Ibaka, Gasol. There's only like you're going to be a really good team, you know, unless like you're selling everything for parts. And I thought the sense that, you know, Masai wanted to, you have to do a proper title defense and the proper title defense turned into like like it, it was the best case scenario. Like yeah. we were getting praised left and right by the, the people we want the praise from saying how how tough we are, how championship DNA we are, how we're that veteran team that you got to like kill right at the end like think about all the things people were saying about the raptors compared to like people questioning our mental toughness like two or three years ago it's it's like a 180 so they had to honor that and the the future of the team you know like we won a title while also building the next iteration of our championship contention with so you have fred van fleet siakam norm og terrence davis and even oh, even Matt Thomas to a certain extent. <laughs> he was you, impressive. Know how, you know how tough for me that is to get out of. I me. know. He impressed me. He impressed me. He he earned minutes in the Boston series. Um he he played six of the seven games in the Boston series ahead of Terrence Davis. And don't get I'm not saying here Matt Thomas is going to turn into like Clay Thompson, but he could be a functional eighth or ninth man. And that kind of surprised me. I didn't think he had that in him. I always thought his like the dude shoots like 50 percent from three, but he could only play like three minutes because of his defense. But he surprised <laughs> me. He was frisky on D. He's developed. He's. The, the, the defense is throwing him off the three-point line, and he's developing that sort of come into the mid-range bank shot. Banks, he's developing yeah. that in-between game. So I, I'm happy to see the progress. But there's there's so many, like Lowry's got one year left on his deal. What do you do with a player who's a franchise icon, who's a living legend in Toronto, who's probably trade value is at its absolute peak right now? Like, what, how do you handle that? And then you have Fred Van Fleet's unrestricted free agency. He's the heir apparent. He's the guy who's going to be running this offense. And when, when free agents in 2021 are eyeballing the Raptors, they're eyeballing Siakam, 
Fred and OG. And I got to give a shout out to OG. Here this whole time, I thought Siakam at the five was the answer. I had the question all wrong. It's OG at the five. Yeah. That guy, 6'8", built like a tank. He's like... He's like a a taller PJ Tucker. <laughs> I I never my mind didn't even fathom OG being a small ball five, but he's due for an extension on his rookie deal. These are all fun questions. Do you lock him up now? Do you or do you sign him when he's a restricted free agent just to preserve cap space for big game hunting in 2021? Like, what do you do with Lowry? You got Ibaka. Ibaka clearly, if you follow him on social media, this dude loves. Toronto. Yeah. You get the sense he wants to be here. And you know, he this dude, like, he was probably our second best, second or third best player in the Boston series. And I kept wondering, why isn't Nurse playing him more over Gasol? And then you gotta remember the dude was in a walking boot. Maybe this is the maximum he can give us in that time. But Ibaka showed me so much, and this dude is in the the best shape of anyone, probably in the NBA. So you think this guy could probably play a long while. But also, besides got to manage that cap, would like Abaka want to come back? You know, hey, we'll give you a nice pricey one-year deal, $15 million, And then maybe in 2021, we can go over the cap by signing you and we do something a little bit longer. Or does he chase? Yeah, somebody comes and says, Here, he's, here's four years, $50 million or $60 million. You can't fault someone for taking that, right? Oh, no, no. That's, a, that's like, game, like that's game-changing money. That's like generational wealth money. And Ibaka's already made that. But I'm not one of those people to say, well, you should come back on a team-friendly deal because he's already made his money. He's like, don't count other people's money. <laughs> like, if I if, if you want me to like go to your job and tell you how much you should take, hey, well, Adam, you've been at this company for five years. You should take a pay cut for year six. You're going to be like, no. <laughs> so people, people think like that. Oh, you know, you'll come back on a team-friendly deal. It's like, no, look out for yourself. Just like, you know, like just like how we would look out for ourselves in our own professional lives. You know what I mean? Yes. So these are all fun questions. But yes, let's talk about Fred. Fred was the best Raptor in the bubble. He led the team in playoff scoring, 19.6 points per game at him. He led the team in assists at 6.9. So what do you do with someone who's appeared to be the best player on your team? Oh, let's just let him walk. No. Like, there's almost this sense of like, oh, just because we did it before with Fred Van Fleet, with all these players we developed, we're just going to find another one. And people will say, oh, we got Terrence Davis. It's like, you know. Terrence Davis would have a one good game every three weeks and then go silent. But we just kept coming. Well, he played that one game. Hey, you know, I don't want to talk about the 10 games he did poorly. Like, you don't you don't let someone like Fred Van Fleet walk away, even from the most simplest sense of you don't let an asset walk away for nothing. Because even if some team says, Fred, here's four, 130 million. Masai's probably going to match it and say, here we go, let's roll. And then if he views that as price tag as too much, you can assess trades. You can maybe do a sign and trade if you wanted to. I'm saying that is the worst case. Like Fred Van Fleet is part of this team. He has institutional knowledge. He knows how Nick Nurse's offense runs. You don't just trade someone like, or let someone go like that. Like I, I, it baffles me. Like, what were people watching? Like, Fred Van Fleet's, like, leading us. And even though he's, like, 6'1", the dude's an elite defender. He could guard two positions. He's, he's a flamethrower from long range. And you know what? The dude doesn't lack for confidence. He thinks he's the best player on the court. 
And I love that, man. You can't part ways with someone like that. The dude led us in playoff scoring, led us in playoff passing, was the best player in the bubble. He struggled against the Celtics. Don't get me wrong, but everyone did. And I know someone's going to say, Someone's going to say, well, Lowry was the best player in the, the Celtics series. To what, I'm going to say this, Adam. Did you ever hear this stat? Did anybody on Raptors Twitter say halfway through game three, Lowry was one for 17 from three? Halfway through game three of the Boston series? Did yeah. anyone talk about that? No, but I do remember uh, in game three, people were saying he was ice cold from three. But no, not to that degree. No. Exactly. And don't get me that. Does it mean I hate Lowry? I, I hear what you. I'm saying is Lowry. Lowry is one of those players who elevates everything. He's not one of those players that you can just you, that will lead you to victory. He's not like in the sense that, yes, he, he can't give you back to back great games. Let's talk about his great games against Boston. Game three. Boston, 31 points, 13 for 23. That beautiful pass all the way to OG with half a second remaining. Outstanding. That was an incredible, that was a master class. Game four, he goes five of 16. Game six, double overtime. Lowry's the man. 33 points, 12 of 20, 6 of 10. Give this man a statue. Game seven, five of 15, one of six from three. Mm. You're, you're handcuffed by... Like, <laughs> that's what I was saying. We go as far as Siakam can take us because Lowry, he can give you a great game, but he's not capable of stringing them together. I don't even know how I got on that <laughs> point. But, and it doesn't mean I dislike Lowry, but that's a fact. And we have to be able to talk about that. You were saying, what do we do with Kyle Lowry? For me personally, I, I think that you ride this year out with him. And I, I just don't think that the organization is going to allow him to go anywhere else. Um, I think there's going as long as you bring a championship caliber team in and you're aggressive in free agency for 2021. And let's just say you do extend Fred Van Vliet. We could talk about figures in a minute, but let's just say you do extend Fred Van Vliet or resign him rather. Um, and then eventually, I think after next season, OG is going to be due. Um, and I th also think after next season, Norman Powell is going to be off the books, at which I'm not necessarily thinking it's that pressing of an issue for the Raptors to re-sign him at this point. Uh, he'll have to show me what he can do in the next season. But as of today, for instance, if Norman Powell's contract ran up today and someone offered him more money than the Raptors and he went there, I wouldn't be heartbroken. I really wouldn't. And not that doesn't mean I don't like him. It's just... It's just he's not a priority, I think, for this, this team's core moving forward. Um, as long as Siakam's there, Fred Van Vliet's there, OG is secured... Um, and a, a big-time free agent comes in, maybe it's a Giannis, um, and I don't even care about Kawhi at this point. I, I mean, I know he's a game-changer, but sorry, bro, you, you ruined it for us. Um, if, if those individuals... You had your chance, Yeah, Kawhi. you did. You did. You did have your chance. If those people can come in and form a team, it would not surprise me. And again, this is my, it's Harold's on this team, which is rumored to be what, as I said, the Raptors are chasing. It wouldn't surprise me in the least bit if, if Lowry did take a... a, a less money maybe than he can get elsewhere just so he can be part of the championship team and finish his career here. I think that's a different circumstance than what you were saying about Serge Ibaka. Serge Ibaka does have a little bit more longevity in his career than Kyle Lowry, whereas Kyle Lowry is, he's what, 35 at this point. He's sort of winding down. Maybe he's 36. I don't know. But um, yeah, how many years does Kyle Lowry really have left? Really? See, that's a great question. Like Kyle Lowry by the theoretically when 2021 
hits the offseason, Kyle Lowry will be 36 approaching 37. Yeah. So the question is, how many Kyle Lowry years does Kyle Lowry have left Three. playing at this level? And I was and, and when I say this, he probably had his best season of his career in 2019, 20. Hmm. This guy just keeps like, you know, like blowing like this guy just keeps like exceeding expectations and coming back better somehow. It defies all sorts of logic like a player who plays like that with that bulldog mentality that he that he somehow gets better but yes he has one year left on his deal in an ideal world what you would want like this is the perfect ending storybook ending he plays out the last year of his deal at like 30 something million he comes back on a team friendly deal we have the perfect circle of life passing of the torch moment where he becomes Fred Van Fleet's backup and then he retires as a Raptor. Maybe we get one more title. But Adam, when is something like that ever right. happened in sports? Right. Maybe Tim Duncan, that's it. <laughs> when is that ever? Ask DeMar yeah. how this went. Yeah. And I always say this. I guarantee you it rubs you, it rubs Masai and Bobby the wrong way that Lowry was willing to sit, Lowry was sitting out trading camp, was going to sit out regular season games or demand to be traded if they did not extend him. Mm -hmm. Like that does not get enough talk. And if you're a Masai or Bobby, that kind of has to like, well, you're under deal, man. Go out there and fucking play. Right. Right. So that has to bug him. And then there's the question of, what if this training camp rolls around and Lowry wants another extension? What if Lowry assesses this and Lowry wants to play for a championship contender? He he, he looks at the roster, he assesses, and he says, you know what? I want to play with the Clippers. I want to make something happen. I want to compete for a title in my last remaining years. I want to go home to Philly. Mm. I want to play for my hometown team. How fun would that be? It's like, what? Like, I'm not saying these are things that are going to happen like – these are things you have to start thinking about. Right. Is that storybook ending that you want, that I want, is that really feasible? Does Lowry strike you as the type of person that would like that or want that and would accept anything less below championship expectations? Probably not. Mm. Hopefully, yes. But you know what? What sports has taught me is expect the unexpected. How many people had Paul George going to the Clippers last summer? Nobody. Right. It surprised everyone. So, like, so I always say something surprising is going to happen this off season. What could that be? Who knows? Yeah, I'm not sure. I remember we had our first therapy session after the Raptors got swept by Cleveland. And our consensus at that point was something drastic needs to be done. Someone needed to be traded. And we, we threw out, and again, this wasn't hating on them. We were just trying to figure out trade scenarios. We, we mentioned DeMar. We mentioned Serge. We mentioned Kyle. Uh, one of, someone had to go. Something had to be done. We were also anticipating Dwayne Casey getting let go, and he did. Um, I'm not getting the sense that something drastic needs to necessarily be done. I do think that they are holding their chips in for the 2021 season to you know pursue a high-quality free agent or rather a superstar. Um, and I don't think that's, again, that's going to prevent them from giving Fred Van Vliet what he's owed. Um, I don't think Fred Van Vliet's going to get the max from Toronto. I, it wouldn't surprise me if a team like Detroit or a team like New York offered him that. But I think Fred Van Vliet, once you taste a championship, why would you want to go down that road back to the bottom? It doesn't make sense to me. Um, if they offer him something fair, and again, I'm not, I, I don't, I still think four at 100 is on the table. 
I really do. And I'm not, I, I haven't got a look at the, the cap. And again, I do think that for the right superstar in 2021, maybe MLSE will be willing to go over the cap. And again, we haven't talked about this yet, but if they, if, if and when they do resign Masai Ujiri, I guarantee you it's going to take ownership stake. I guarantee you that there's going to be a stake of ownership because this guy can get anything he wants. Absolutely anything he wants. If he wants ownership, the Wizards were offering him ownership stake and he turned it down. Okay, so I, I, I do think the the leverage that Masai Ujiri has is very high. And I think one of the conditions of him saying, and I'm, I'm just speculating here, this is no rumor or anything. It wouldn't surprise me if Masai Ujiri was like, look, we need to go over the cap in 2021 if you want me to stay. That's non-negotiable. This has to happen. And they're having these internal talks about what they need to do to chase another championship and what it's going to take for him to stay. It really wouldn't surprise me. So if Fred Van Vliet stays for that amount, you have Kyle Lowry on a quote-unquote team-friendly deal, but still enough for him to you know, not feel disrespected. This is Kyle Lowry we're talking about. And you're able to chase a free agent. I'm looking at 2021 as sort of a run-it-back year with minor tweaks. Maybe everyone minus Marcus All, if possible. Yeah, I think that's probably the safe bet. And will do I think Fred Van Fleet's deserving of the max? That's a little steep for me. Yeah. That's a little but we're talking about the Knicks and the Pistons here, who have made a bedrock of their franchise is making bad decisions. And not that giving Fred Van Fleet's a bad decision, but it just speaks to like the unpredictable nature of those organizations. Mm. And who's to say Dwayne Casey views taking stealing Fred Van Fleet as some sort of misguided F you to the organization that only he would interpret it as yeah. like who's to say and but and if you're Fred Van Fleet the Knicks or Pistons they walk in the door for 130 Masai walks in the door and you and I we pretty much said it we're comfortable with 100 to 110 million yeah so you have to ask yourself that's maybe 15 20 million over the life of the deal are you willing to get are you willing to make generational money but take a little bit of a not a hometown discount but a home grown discount where he knows he can thrive? I can just see Masai and Bobby just locking it up. It doesn't even get to the point where other teams can bid for him. Yeah. And I do think it comes in the four to one hundred million dollar range. And Adam, there's people who say he's deserving of Brogdon type money. If the Raptors sign him to Brogdon type money, I'm going to consider that a team friendly deal. Yeah. I would not hesitate to be like, yeah, you want 480? Let's go and just be blown away that we got him in my mind, like 15, 20 million below what I think he's he could potentially get. So, yeah, locking up Fred Van Fleet is a priority. And yes, Lowry has one year left on his deal. But, you know, like there's a there's part of me that is like, has Lowry played his last game as a Raptor? I hope not, because I want that storybook ending. I want that guy to retire here. His last game here, you know, like how desperate were some of us for Vince just to come back so he could retire here? You know, like we want that storybook ending so bad. And I would love that. He, he, wanted to, he does like a Dirk. He doesn't even mind maybe if we have a down year potentially in the sense that we don't finish with like a top three record, right? You want him to be okay with that and stay. And then maybe he transfers into sort of like a, a role with the organization. But I just keep coming back to that's just too perfect. Something always gets in the way of that. And then there's part of me. That is like, okay, if he's on a one-year deal, his trade value is at his absolute peak. People saw what a beast he was against Boston. 
If some team thinks they're a Kyle Lowry away from a title and they go to Messiah and Bobby, they offer a couple young players some draft capital and Messiah and Bobby are thinking of the next iteration of the championship team and how those pieces could maybe complement that. I could see them pulling the, the, the I could see them doing something like that. But do I want them to do something like that? No, I don't. But this is sports we're talking about. And this stuff, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. It, it Look, it, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, Jalen Brown got four at 110. And I, I wouldn't surprise me if Fred Van Vliet, even though Jalen Brown played pretty well in this in this series against the Raptors, let's be honest, um, Celtics aren't playing well right now at all against the Heat. But, you know, if I'm... If I'm Fred Van Vliet, I'm looking at that and said, I think that's a comp. Obviously, they're not the same position. Obviously, there there are uh, stature differences and and you know just the overall composition of the player. It's different, but still, when it comes to making money, I think that Fred Van Vliet is deserving of that. I think 110 is the max I'd go, honestly. Uh, and if Fred Van Vliet is looking for more than that and he's able to get it, and that's a priority to him. More power to you, dude. I, I I would hate for that to happen, but as undrafted free agent, you have more than earned it. More than earned yeah. it. But if you and want to stay for a championship, this is the place to be. Yeah, and if it ever got down that road where some team did offer the 4-130, like I said, they, Masai, Masai's whole history, I don't know if you remember when he was with the Nuggets, he signed Nene Hilario to like five years, 80 million, and traded him four months later just because he didn't want the asset because you lose the value even in like a future trade. So if, and I, this is a small percent, if it does go down that road where Fred Van Fleet's just blown away by an offer and does want to leave, they, w- they would figure out it to, my guarantee would be it would be a sign and trade to recoup something. But yeah. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. Fred Van Fleet, I enjoy watching him. He was, like I said, he was our best player in the playoffs, and you reward your best players in the playoffs. Like, like I don't know what everyone else was watching if they didn't come away with that same conclusion. He was struggling in the series against Boston, but that's only because, you know, notoriously, much like the Milwaukee series last year, he struggles with players with length. The same thing happened with Philly. That does not mean he's a bad player. It's just, you know, the... the Everyone has their weak spots, right? Everyone has their kryptonite. Maybe this is Fred Van Vliet. Does that mean... I still don't think we've seen the best of Fred Van Vliet. I still don't think we've seen his ceiling either. I think he can excel. And you're right when it comes to being the understudy of Kyle Lowry. They are very similar, especially in the way they finish. Their their layups and their drives to the rim, they are very similar. And you know Kyle Lowry sort of, you know, mentored him in a way with with that uh, finesse to the rim. I, I love it. Um, and that's another reason why it would be like so hard to part with Lowry because like I don't know if you could <laughs> – so I don't – at the beginning of the season, just before the season started, there were rumblings that like this team is now Lowry. They're taking on their DNA. They're playing every single day, no nights off. Like mm. you go hard. I don't know if people read between the lines – and kind of connected the dots of, if you remember, there was some issues that came out after the title was one of some players who had issues with Kawhi taking nights off. Mm. And they weren't really on board with the, what the hell is this load management thing? And then the whole theme this year was this team is taking on Kyle's personality. Play hard, play every day. So if you're a smart Mark Rafters fan and you read between the lines, you could kind of discern that it was Kyle Lowry who was kind of leading the charge of like, wait, this guy's not playing every day. He's going to take a quarter of the season off. And then you see it sort of in the way people talk about, like I was saying, this is loud. They take it on Lowry's identity. So there, there's cues that the media 
leaves out that they can't just explicitly say that if you're paying close attention, you can pick up on the breadcrumbs of that. And that's why I would hate to leave Lowry because I would hate to lose Lowry ever because that dude, like, for like some for all his warts and all, like, what he's always a positive. Like, he's a he's a guy you want on your team. Yes. Yeah, and the influence is invaluable obviously there's going to be a, a price for it obviously you don't want to spend an enormous amount of money I, I don't think his next contract assuming that he plays throughout this year and doesn't hold out any he, any he commits to to the last year I don't think it, if he's going to get a contract anywhere else I'm, I'm not seeing it in the 30 million range I'm really not maybe not even in the 20 million range again as you mentioned he's going to be 36 I'd be hard pressed to give a 36 year old point guard uh that type of money maybe Kyle what? Lowry <laughs> Raptors Twitter, get him. We sign Lowry to a five-year, $220 million deal Jesus. now. Get at him right no. now. No. Pause this and at him. <laughs> but, you know, I do think we don't think of it like this, but I guarantee you there's part of Lowry that does want to play for his hometown team. Eh, probably. I'll just leave it at that. Probably. I mean, there was a part of DeMar that wanted to play for the Lakers. I'm sure there still is. Right, and I'm not leaving that off the table quite yet. But um, last thing I want to get into, Nick Nurse's extension comes as no surprise. Again, we don't know the terms of it, but as I mentioned previously, Winhurst said that it's in the four-year range. Very lucrative deal, championship material. Um, this comes as no surprise, and I think you know, with this short tenure so far, just two years into this, he has proven to me to be the absolute best Raptors coach of all time in such a short time. Right? And that's no disrespect to Raptors coaches in the past. It's not just laying on the laurels of the championship at all. It's the way he sort of is revolutionizing the game. You can see other teams uh, being influenced by him. Hint, hint, Miami playing zone against Boston. <laughs> and against Milwaukee. <laughs> like, he does have a strong presence. And we talked about this before, about how the Golden State Warriors had this influence on the league and sort of shifted it towards a three-point heavy shooting league. There seems to be this trend now moving towards more of a zone and wizardry, uh, you know, scheming aspect that Nick Nurse certainly influenced and implemented first before anybody, because anything that chases a championship and works, other coaches kind of want to utilize it if they can. And the closest person or closest coach that I see been successful with it is Spolstra, which comes as a no surprise because I think he's great too. But man, Nick Nurse in here for the next four years. How's that make you feel? Must make you feel secure at least. Yeah, I mean, that that goes without saying. I like I have nothing to add to what you just said. It's clear Nurse is one of the best, if not the best coach in the league. He's got a ring and by the end of his career, you'll probably have more. Like that's the that's what that's the faith I have in this in Nick Nurse. And it's also the faith I have in this organization that, man, we are spoiled. Like we might do we might make a bad decision here or there, Bruno Cabalco. But man, <laughs> we hit a lot of home runs, man. Like and it to the point where you almost get spoiled to it and you just expect it. Think about it. Siakam, 27th pick. OG, the 23rd or 22nd. Fred Van Fleet, undrafted. Terrence Davis, undrafted. Matt Thomas, wherever he came from, overseas or something. Like, we resuscitated Lowry's career. Like, this, like, it, you, you could almost become immune to it and start expecting it. But, like, we have our two draft picks this year. The 29th and the 59th pick. Who knows? Like, I, like who knows what we like we when we don't even have a draft pick we get a dude who finishes on the all rookie team yeah like 
who knows what's going to happen, man. Like, I'm very excited for next offseason. We even, haven't even tackled, like, if the Raptors, like, what do you do with OG? Do you wait till next offseason or do you extend him now? I, I think they, my opinion is they'll extend him now. And my guess is, if I were to take a guess, it would be four years, 60 million with that fourth year as a player option. But yeah, back to what you were saying about Nurse, like, that's done. He's signed. Great. And it makes sense. Like now, now the attention is to Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri. And now it's like we're playing almost the Kawhi game with Masai Ujiri. Is he staying? What did he mean in this press conference? Right. right. But it only makes it makes sense. Just think about it from optics. He has you got you can't just say hey, I signed. I'm here for five more years. Big money. But you have to take care of like he's he's doing it the right way. I'm going to take care of Nurse. I'm going to take care of Webster. I'm going to take care of Alex McKechnie. I'm going to take care of everyone. And then I'm going to that's what a leader does. They take care of everyone else before they take care of themselves. So I fully expect Masai to be here. And I've tweeted this before. If Masai ever leaves the Raptors, I do not think it will be for another team. There's rumors that. Barack Obama wants him in Washington for political stuff. If he ever leaves the NBA, it would be something much bigger where he could make a bigger impact in everyone's every everyday lives. But I do think he's motivated to stay here. And there was a great article uh, by Josh Lewenberg of TSN. And it's a point that I've been, I've been harping myself where he's like, Masai's accomplished everything. He's got his title. He's built a, like a culture. He's built a world-class organization. But the one thing he hasn't done yet, he hasn't – he promised Toronto he would lure a big-time free agent here. He hasn't done it yet. But we all know who he's got his eyes on, and it's circled, arrows pointing to it. That's the last thing I feel he feels he needs to bring to Toronto. What do you mean? You don't you don't think Damari Carroll? Come on, man, Damari Carroll. No, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we we like to think like he's done everything. There's things that aren't on his bucket list. No, he's got that. He wants to go big game hunting. Yeah, yeah. Do what someone else couldn't do. And you know what? Uh, Bobby Webster is probably the best understudy that you can have because you have to imagine that if he does, he being Masai. Um, you know, search for greener pastures somewhere else in Washington, perhaps, or whatever it is. There's also rumors that maybe the NBA would start a league in Africa and he'd be the the commissioner of it. I've I've heard that. I don't know if there's any legitimacy to it. I don't know. I know they're trying to globalize the league, which they should. I think that'd be a beautiful thing. Who better to lead that than Masai Ujiri? He's already doing Giants of Africa right now. So um, these little things, obviously, but if Bobby Webster is right now serving as his understudy and when the time is appropriate, maybe he becomes, it's just like an assembly line. Maybe he becomes president of operations. Someone else would be the GM learning under him X, Y, Z. Um, so look, I, I've got the majority of everything I wanted to get off my chest accomplished. Um, I, I, I don't want to rob you of any time. Is there anything else that you want to, to speak about when it comes to the, this Raptors season, the playoff series, what's ahead? Anything and everything, man. There was two things about the Boston series I need sure. to get off my chest. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> how the hell did we... We, every single game, we were out-rebounded. Yeah. Out-rebounded. For the whole series, we were out-rebounded by 43 rebounds. Oof. And the only big... The ball Boston played was Thice. Uh, Daniel Thice played like out of his mind. Yeah, he, he did. To me, the, the three best players on the Celtics were Tatum, Daniel Thice, and Marcus Smart. And our three-point 
shot, abandoned us the entire series. We had one game where we shot really well, game six. For the series, we shot 90 for 279, 32%. Our shots weren't falling. And it was maddening to watch because, you know, anytime we needed that sort of, or down six, you got to hit this three. That's a three they would miss. And Boston would come down on the other end and hit a three. And now they're up by nine. And like, I'd be watching these games with my wife and I'd be pointing out like, these are the moments, like people aren't going to talk about this, but these are the moments. And my wife's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have another drink while you rant about (laughs) Raptors. But also too, the season is over. And I I also too, you know, I want to give a big shout out to my wife. She supports my, my love of Raptors. She makes sure I never misses a game. She goes with me. If I could say, I'm going to a bar, I'll buy all, all your cocktails. Everything's on me. She'll come, she'll sit, she'll be in it with me. So I, it's amazing to have someone like that who supports your hobbies, who supports your passion. And I'm, I'm grateful to my wife for, for supporting all that. Absolutely. I, I second that. I've met your wife. She's a very, very nice person and she's supportive of you, which is absolutely critical to have. And, uh, I'm glad you have that, man. I'm glad, I'm glad you have that sort of centerpiece. Uh, it, I, I know how that feels. Cindy was watching the games with me as well. And she was really disappointed when they lost. And, you know, she saw the look on my face after, the end of game seven and she's like, I know how much this series meant to you given, you know, Boston, the region and everything. And, and I said, it's not that I'm worried about the backlash. It's just this one, this one hurts a little more that we, you know, reasons we already talked about, but regarding the rebounding. Yeah. I don't know what was up with that, man. Uh, I think it was Robert Williams or Grant Williams. They have two of them. I forget which one, but this, this guy off the bench for Boston was just out rebounding everybody. There was a moment at the end of game seven uh, the free throw line that Norm just forgot to box out Tatum just was nonchalant about it. And it, oh, I might've been a contributing effort to what cost the, the Raptors uh, among other things. Well, but that was right. it. Game seven, Grant Williams. There it is. They, he gets, he misses both free throws at the end. And all we got to do is get the board, call a timeout and, you know, maybe send it to overtime. We yeah. didn't box out. And that's the play I keep replaying in my mind of, how the fuck don't you box up there, Norman Powell? Two missed free throws. Two. Two missed free throws. All so. you got to do is secure the board, call a timeout, and let magic happen. What it could have shown him, man. Um, all right. Dude, I, despite the losses, and despite, you know, year one, getting swept by Cleveland. Year two, Kawhi leaves. This year, getting eliminated around two by Boston. Seven-game series. You know, for all the things, for all the grievances we just aired, for all the things we just got off our chest for the frustrations and whatnot, I consider myself privileged to have been able to watch this specific team this year. And you can add in COVID. You can add in, you know, unfortunately, uh, all the social justice, you know, the not, it's not unfortunate about the social justice, but the need for it. You know, obviously we, we live in 2020 there. Everybody should be treated equal. It's weird that we're even having to fight for this shit still. But I'm glad the players sort of had this space to open up. I'm glad the players had this space to make their voices heard if there's any positive you can extrapolate from all this it's that there is more of a recognition of it and this is what makes this season way more special for me not only was this team perhaps my favorite Raptors team of all time just given the underdog mentality no one had them in the playoffs 
they overperformed to the American media. But you know what? To Raptors fans, I think we kind of expected them to be good. Maybe not this good, but we certainly didn't have them outside the playoffs. No. You know, and we definitely didn't have Chicago in there. No offense, Kevin <laughs> Kacheri listening, maybe. Um, Lots of offense to him. Yeah, okay, fine. Oh. But still, you know, it, it's, to me, this is a special season, given the circumstances. I feel privileged to have been able to watch game six. You know, it, we might have lost the series, but that might have been, outside winning the championship, that might have been the best playoff game I've ever seen in my life. You know, being able to watch an instant classic, white-knuckling my chair, zoned in on the TV screen, watching that double overtime, I will never forget that game, ever. And I feel privileged to have been able to watch this team. Not only that, I feel privileged to have been able to cover this team all year. I've been privileged to be able to talk to people like you and other people that have come on the show on a regular basis just to shoot the shit about the Toronto Raptors. And moreover, I feel privileged to have people that actually give a shit about what I have to say about these things. Um, This season was special. I know last season was a championship season. I'll never forget that. But there's something about this season that really resonated with me personally. And I'm just, I feel privileged to have been able to see. I I feel like I don't deserve it because it is, it was a special season, even though we got eliminated. And I think that's why this one bothers me so much because I feel like there was just more to give. And I think Kyle Lowry stated that at the end. There was more to give. And I believe that. But goddamn, I love this team and I loved what they were able to provide us. So you know the deal, dude. If you have any closing thoughts, go for it. No, yeah, I I just want to echo what you said. Sure, yeah. This season, This team was my favorite team of all time. And it was something new. The last two seasons have given us something new that we never experienced as fans. Last season was climbing the mountain, winning the title. That was an incredible joy. We were that was like something. There was almost a part of me that felt we would never accomplish that as the the lone non-American team. That that it always seemed out of reach, but we did it. And then this year, going into the season as the defending champions and seeing how the championship affected each player, there was like an intangible swagger to this team because they know they've been through the grind. They knew what it takes. They had a level of confidence that I haven't seen. And so it was a joy to watch this team defend its title. And it was a joy. This was Kyle Lowry's first season. No DeMar, no player like Kawhi. And what did Lowry do? He went out and had the best season of his career. Did he struggle during the bubble in the Nets? Yes, but you know what he did against Boston? He put us on his back and he almost got us to the finish line. And I wanted to see Lowry play without DeMar, play without Kawhi and see how he handled it. And the dude put in an A++ performance. So... You, you have to be proud with what Kyle Lowry did this season. Like, this dude is deserving. It's clear he's deserving his number retired, his jersey in the rafters. Whatever a statue, whatever it is, this year cemented it for me. I wanted to see how he responded to a title defense, and this dude was incredible. Lowry deserves all the roses just for like for everything he's done for us. But for this year, when everyone counted us out, Lowry said, no, come with me. I'm gonna, he's instilled his work ethic into this team. So there's a great sense of pride with this team. And this was my favorite season 
of all time. And that could be recency bias. Who knows? But I took such great pride in this. And we should not take for granted. This was a season where we had championship expectations and where we had the realist. There was it was realistic that we could be holding the title in our hands. That doesn't happen very frequently. There's teams who haven't made the playoffs in like 14 years. So like I said, we can become immune to these to these like lofty goals and start expecting them and like get angry when we don't make the final four or the final eight. But man, every single game, I believed we could win. I believed we could win the title. And those seasons don't come around often. So this season was incredible. I agree. And it, uh... I think that a lot of Raptors fans feel the same way. Um, there was something great about this season, and if I could redo everything, I would. There's something great about, you know, that, that it's not great that the, we have to deal with COVID. It's not, and, you know, you and I chatted before the show and said it sucks. It does. But the fact that we were able to experience that, given everything that's been going on, just to have a break from it, just for at least a couple hours. It was great. It was great. And I, I appreciate the efforts that every member of this team, and still even every member of the NBA, to make this a reality uh, You know, for our viewing pleasure, obviously for money too, but for our viewing pleasure, um, I, 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 I feel privileged to have been able to see it. So, all right. Um, that is your third annual therapy session. These are special, right? So if you want to dig back into the archives, I said at the top of the show, listen to the first two and see how far we've come. Things may seem a little weird right now, dire even. You know, the 2020, 2021 season is sort of in limbo. We don't know what's going on. Just listen to those episodes and see where we were and where our state of mind was, and then reflect on what happened after. There's no doubt in my mind that we're going to still experience some great things with this team heading into next year. Even if it's a bridge year, quote-unquote, we're still going to experience some great things. So, Peter, you know the deal. Your time to shine. Promote any and everything you got going on. The floor is absolutely absolutely yours, my friend. Go ahead. These therapy sessions, Adam, I, I don't know who sends who the bill on this. So. <laughs> <laughs> How do we figure it out? One day, you know what? I'm glad these are saved for historical, for posterity, so I can go back and listen to these and feel what it felt like in the moment because you could often lose sight. And um, and it's funny to like – it's not funny, but it's good to be – to remind ourselves how far we've come, how we felt in the moment, because I think those perfectly encapsulate the season yeah. before nostalgia kicks in and before people start trying to rewrite kind of what happened. But anyways, Adam, what a pleasure. Always great coming on the show, chatting Raptors with you. And this is one of the joys of social media that it connected me with someone like Adam to have these fun conversations with. So despite all the negativity, there's just so much positivity. And so Adam, I'm so glad our, our paths crossed. You can find my work at lifeinrepeat.com. I'm on Twitter. It's easy as well, Life in Repeat. And we're doing an exercise. We're on the website. We're going to have a few pieces over the next few weeks talking about where do we go from here and focusing in on specific players. I posted something uh, a couple days ago on Pascal Siakam. We got something on Fred Van Fleet coming next week. Uh, we're going to tackle all these things. OG's extension, what to do with Lowry, Ibaka Gasol. So keep your eyes on the website. And Adam, our watch has ended. Our season is officially over. 
We are no longer the reigning, defending, undisputed champions. But you know what? It was a fun season. We put up one hell of a title defense. So if you'll excuse me, Adam, I'm going to go put on my replica championship ring. I'm going to pour myself another cold one. And for the final time in the 2019-20 season, Adam, now hit my music. I've got the looks that drives a cool while I've got the mood that really move I said chill up and down their spine. I'm just a sexy boy. I'm not your boy toy. I'm just a sexy boy. I'm not your boy toy. Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Raptors. Boy, toy.